Living with Diabetes, a podcast from Diabetes Victoria with Jack Fitzpatrick. Hello, one and all. Thanks for tuning in to the official Diabetes Victoria podcast. This is a great forum for those of us impacted by diabetes, whether it be directly or indirectly, to discuss ideas, share stories, and build our diabetes community. I'm Jack Fitzpatrick, ex-Melbourne and Hawthorne AFL player and current Diabetes Victoria ambassador. I would like to acknowledge the traditional custodians of the Kulin Nations where we are speaking from today, as well as all the lands across Australia, and pay my respects to all elders past and present and to all Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander people listening in. I'm lucky enough to be joined by one of Australia's most recognisable journalists, particularly when it comes to the world of sport. He's at the forefront of breaking news from his breakfast radio commitments on Triple M to his Channel 7 news bulletins in the evening and many spots on AFL shows throughout the year. He's a well-known figure in the Australian media landscape, but what you might not know is that he also lives with type 1 diabetes. Tom Brown, welcome. Great to be on, Jack. I'm really pleased to, uh, to join you today. It's, it's fantastic and you're doing a, a great job with this podcast. Thank you, mate. I do appreciate that. Uh, firstly, very quickly, tell us about your year. You've been away in the, the hub for the AFL and, and things like that. How, is, how have you found COVID? Uh, COVID was difficult initially. Obviously, I was worried from a type one perspective about getting it. I didn't want to get it clearly just because of the unknown. I mean, I'm sure I'd be fine, but you know, I frankly never want to find out. So I was worried initially and I actually got an inopportune cold at one point and sort of almost panicked a bit. So I was probably pretty unbearable to live with uh, from my wife's perspective, but she's very supportive. Then we went up to uh, Sydney and then Queensland and I covered the footy. And I must admit, um, it, it sounds selfish. I've had an, an incredibly enjoyable year and love being in Sydney and then love being on the Gold Coast covering the footy. And I must admit, compared to, to poor Victorians, I've had a I've had an incredible year and I've managed to avoid a lot of the lockdown. So from a COVID perspective, uh, touch wood, everything's been fine and from a, from a professional perspective and a, a family perspective, uh, this year living with my wife who's pregnant up in Queensland and being lucky enough to cut a footy, uh, I've, been, I've been really blessed. Well, congratulations uh, on, on the news of your wife being pregnant there, mate. That's uh, some really good news and, and good news that I think like most people with diabetes, to be honest, mate, there was certainly an initial fear about, well, what if we get it and are we in the high risk category and these kinds of things? But uh, touch wood, um, we seem to be on the top of it in Victoria and it can remain that way. Talk me back to the start, Tom, and, and tell me about how and when you were diagnosed with diabetes. Well, I don't usually talk about this. I've never spoken about it on a semi-public forum like this podcast. I certainly don't like it being the focus from a professional perspective. I sort of just bowl on in life like a lot of diabetics like yourself, uh, Jack. And I was running, I think it was one summer, and I was about 86 kilos. And uh, I lost a little bit of weight, and then the weight loss just continued. And uh, I kept putting off going to the doctors like a lot of guys do. And my dad, of all people, kept saying, you sort of look like Like, go to the doctors and, and get yourself checked out. And I put it off and put it off and put it off. And then I got to work one day and my boss, Simon Pristel, who's a pretty uh, tough, fearsome news director, you don't want to sort of uh, cross him at the best of times, said, look, I've heard about your work. I-, I think you do good work, but you're not really showing it at the moment. Frankly, you don't seem like yourself. You break a lot of stories, but your cameramen are telling me you're falling asleep and you've lost all this weight. And frankly, you don't look that crash hot. I need you to go to the doctors and get checked out because if you can't sort of explain why you're a bit wonky, Frankly, this is not going the way I'd like it to go. So I went off to the doctors, and the doctor weighed me, and I was 67 kilos. Wow. Um, and I'm, what, 180 centimetres. So, and he sort of basically said, well, uh, go off and get a blood test. And I got a call, that frightful call, 
that afternoon I got a blood test about 11 o'clock in the morning. I got a call from the clinic at 4 o'clock saying, Tom, uh, if you're not sitting down, sit down. Uh, you've got type 1 diabetes. Uh, you probably want to come and see us at the, the clinic. So I, I ran off to the clinic and the doctor sort of explained, well, you're not going to die today, but at this rate you would. So you've got untreated diabetes. Uh, and, uh, and and that was a bit of a relief to me at the time, to be honest with you, because I'd lost, what, 21 or 22 kilos or whatever it was. And uh, I sort of thought, well, maybe you could almost have bowel cancer or something. I mean, I'd lost so much weight. I was going to the toilet all the time. I couldn't really hold down food. I was really blurry. Like I was going um, – I remember specifically going to the races with my best mate. We went to the Maya Marquee out at Flemington. And I had a couple of drinks and I – um, I'm a pretty passive guy. Like I never get involved in fights or disagreements or whatever. And at the end of the day, my friend Parko, Tim Parkinson, said, mate, you've been arguing with everyone all day. Like, frankly, you're an embarrassment. And I, and I couldn't quite compute the behavior. But yeah. now I realize that my blood sugar was probably running literally at, I mean, I talk about readings these days of 12 not being good. But, I mean, untreated drinking at the races with undiagnosed diabetes, my blood sugar might have been 40 or 50 or 60, some terrible, terrible figure. Yeah. And we all know the consequences of that. You can go into a coma, you can die, you can drop dead, all sorts of things. So I sort of look at the diagnosis as a blessing in a way because uh, it sort of explained a lot of symptoms that I guess I was ignoring. Having said that, I just didn't expect it to happen to me. My sister's type 1 diabetic, so my family's familiar with it, but you never sort of think it'll happen. You never think it'll happen to you until it does. 100%, mate. So roughly, um, at what age was this happening? And you said you went from you know about eighty six kilos to um, sixty seven kilos, or whatever it was. What time period was that over? I reckon I was thirty three when I got diagnosed. I'm thirty eight now, so it might have been thirty two when I got diagnosed, about six years ago. And in terms of the period, uh, I reckon I was probably ignoring symptoms for uh, when I say ignoring symptoms, I just didn't know about the symptoms, but I don't want to be too harsh on myself. But I was pro- it probably happened over the space of six months. But okay. having said that. Like the running joke in my family uh, or even at work was, oh, you always fall asleep. And that like happened for years. So I must have been, I'm privately concerned that perhaps my blood sugars had been out of kilter for a while. Having said that, I can't go back in time. All I know is that, uh, all I know is what happened. And obviously you said your sister has diabetes as well. So you probably had a better understanding than the, um, maybe the stereotype that it only happens to people who are a little bit older who don't take care of themselves. Yeah, when Sarah was diagnosed, my sister, when she was nine months old, and she's uh, gone on to have two really healthy, fit, um, just ripping kids, fantastic kids, So, and she's a great husband. So I've seen her life, her, Sarah, deal with uh, type 1. So when I was told about it, I knew well, at least for a period of time you can live with this, particularly if it's well managed. So it wasn't sort of like a, a death sentence straight away. Like I said, I had some understanding of the disease. Having said it, I've seen – her highs and lows, they've been ready to go on holidays before and she's really well managed but ended up at, 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 the, at the hospital with gastro and I saw, uh, she went into a coma when she got gastro when she was young. So I've seen I've seen the highs and the lows of, uh, of her um, experience with diabetes to date as well. For sure, mate. You talked about how it was almost a blessing in terms of it actually uh, ex- at least explaining what was going on in your behaviour and things that were happening to you. But other than that, how did it change your life when you go from from one of a better word, but a normal sort of life as a, as a journalist, to now having to manage diabetes uh, with it? Well, I think it changes your life because it just doesn't unfortunately go away. I mean, you'd like to think it does, but every time you sort of park it in the back of your mind for an hour, you know, you, you're well-managed, ready, you can go from six to 11 straight away. And 
I think there's probably a bit of an underappreciation, I think, probably in the community, and this is no one's fault, about the effects that it has on people. Sometimes people say, oh, if, if, you're, uh, if you're low, you need a needle. Well, if you have a needle and you're low, you can die. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and if you're high, uh, oh, you need some sugar. Well, if you have sugar and you're high, again, you could go into a coat. It's, there's a misunderstanding. That's no one's fault. But I think the reason for that is that a lot of diabetics like me just want to get on with life, don't want it to affect their work, and don't want to make a, 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 don't want to make the issue a big point in your life. So I never want to make it an excuse, but uh, it does affect your life. Uh, when you're covering the footy and running around in my job, um, it's probably not the ideal disease for my job because I'm on the road the whole time. Having said that, you learn to adjust, and uh, the pump has been a big uh, plus for that, and my wife's been a big plus from that perspective. I'll get back to that education understanding of, of diabetes in the, the broader community a little bit later, but I do want to talk about your job. You you are on breakfast radio, so that's early starts. So we'll say 6 a.m. is around figure, but probably earlier, and you're chasing news stories all day. So sometimes, you know, particularly in the football world, that might mean sitting out the front of a football club for six, seven, eight hours to speak to who you want. It could be going to different clubs, whatever that might be. Then you've got TV commitments at night time. You're on Channel 7 News. You're presenting, you know, the story you've sort of uncovered and then you'll be on potentially other programs whether it be talking footy or what it might be and and sometimes that doesn't finish until about 10 o'clock so getting through that day in terms of your sugar levels managing them if you're potentially having a hypo throughout the day how do you deal with all this whilst living with your diabetes well i sort of deal with a lack of sleep by and i do sort of tend to work from 5 30 in the morning i'm lucky enough to work from them sometimes until the late news at night, as you said, which is long, long days. And from a diabetic perspective, it's probably not ideal. I learned to sort of snap naps. So I can have a five-minute cat nap in the car or whatever, and that'll just basically keep me going. I do find the change in sugar levels definitely make me tired. So there's no doubt about that. In terms of sort of dealing with the highs and the lows, I've had some funny places where I've been low. Like if you're waiting at Scans Jack for a player, and uh, you're stuck there in the opposition, like Channel 9's there, you can't move. So at times, my wife's dropped off food. Uh, I've got stashes of things in the car and, and all the rest of it. Um, when I was at Rio at the Olympics, I got in some funny situations where I was low occasionally and out in the middle of nowhere. But like all diabetics that listen to this podcast, you just learn to adapt. You carry stuff with you. Um, you always have – well, I tend to have a backup plan, whether I'm in a, a lift of a building or wherever I am. I always think if I get stuck here – what do I need? Um, and, and it's been okay to date. Having said that, I'd like to improve my management um, and, I, and I probably need to, so I can't attest to it being perfect, that's for sure. No, it'll never be perfect, mate, but you are, seem to be doing a pretty good job. I, I can't imagine uh, it would be too fun trying to do a live TV or radio cross when you're halfway through a hypo. I can't recall ever being super low during a cross. I'm generally okay. I reckon once or twice I have, and uh, – you get that ringing in your ear, or you get a bit of a buzz in your head, and you think, oh, God, I'm going low, and you know what it's like. Um, and uh, it's not ideal, but I, I, live on air, I haven't had that problem too much. I'll tell you what, you wouldn't want to go live with uh, Eddie and Dars delivering out the sport in the morning on air and not be on your game. So I've been pretty <laughs> lucky in that regard. No, 100%, mate. You've mentioned your partner a couple of times now, and, and you did get married. It was about this time last year, correct me if I'm wrong. Um, were you guys together when you got uh, diagnosed? No, no, no. Tara took me on as a diabetic, which I always joke to her, not a good bet. I might not live until I'm 90, but uh, <laughs> she's very she's very supportive and very understanding and uh, basically got me onto the pump. And uh, we've, we've conceived we've got a baby due on the 27th of January. So from that perspective, I guess you're always a little bit unsure how that's going to go, but it went really well. Um, 
So that was good, and uh, she's very supportive. And the um, pump's been a big benefit because Tara doesn't like, obviously, when I'm asleep, not knowing what the readings are. So that's given us a bit of better visibility with the alarm and so forth on on lows overnight and things like that. Certainly, uh, you hear so many stories about that, whether it be parents or partners or carers, it, it makes their life so much easier. Because as you know, mate, the, the people like the carers, for want of a better word, are, are, um, they go through this journey with us. We talked earlier, um, you, you're not often speaking about this topic publicly. Um, you, you sort of try and keep it to your professional life. Probably also when you start dating your partner, how did you bring it up to her? Were you open about it? Did you try and hide it initially? H- how was that going through your head? Basically, it's always a bit of a reservation when you meet a partner, particularly a potential life one, on explaining your diabetes. I can't recall how I sort of told her. I think I was having needles at the time. She would have noticed my behavior probably change as the readings change. So I think you should always explain it to them um, as early as possible if you can. Uh, And she was really supportive. And frankly, you couldn't have a life partner or have a wife in this situation or a um, a husband, uh, if they weren't understanding. So they have to be, really. And if they're not, well, you, pro- you probably need to find a new one. Um, but it does put pressure on on relationships, that's for sure. Um, but I can't speak highly enough of my partner, Tara. She's never, ever judged me differently for it and uh, has been enormously supportive. And, you know, I, I couldn't be luckier in that regard. And I'm very appreciative. And speaking of that, what about employers? Obviously, you work for so many different media outlets and, and work with different people. How understanding are they? And and also, how confronting can it be when you do have to explain? Um, there's a, obviously the difference between making excuses and, and having valid reasons when, when things might be going a little bit awry. How do they? How receptive are they to to the challenges of managing diabetes? Um, my employers have been exemplary, and I can't speak highly enough of them from a personal perspective. I've never made an excuse for a big issue, and it's always been 100% understanding. So with, if I'm with a cameraman, most of the camos at seven, a long-term cameraman, know me and uh, know that I might have to have an injection occasionally. They know I wear the pump. Uh, my bosses uh, are fantastic. I think that a lot of big employers like Seven and Osteria these days have multiple employees who've got have got who have got the problem having said that i mean it, it is an interesting issue that because like diabetes does affect your behavior through no fault of your own it does mm-hmm. affect your moods it does affect you day to day there's some days where you're just rearing to go to work you want to break a massive story uh you know you want to work like, I, I work you know 15 18 hour days you want to go 100 percent, but you can wake up with just the mother of all headaches or if you've had a bad 24 hours um you can just feel like you can just feel terrible and the last thing you want to say is, oh, I'm calling sick, or the last thing you want to say is because of the diabetes. Or, and, and I think that's a, that's a really confronting problem that a lot of di- uh, diabetics would face. And a lot of people who are high achievers and like achieving um, huge standards. And Jack, I imagine you would have had that situation at, at Hawthorne. You, know, you want to go out and do a great time trial in front of Clarko or um, get the hard ball at training. But literally, through no fault of your own, you might have had two or three days where it's out of kilter a bit. And, uh, and you just don't feel yourself. So that's a that's a challenge that I think faces all diabetics. Uh, no, it certainly is, mate. And I guess that's you know part of the reason we do this podcast and, and we talk about these issues is to showcase that, um, you know, whether it be myself playing football on the MCG or w- whatever it might be or, or training, whether it be you doing your live television broadcast or your, your radio interviews, et cetera, and people see that good side of it, how, oh, they look to be going well. Maybe they're not having the same issues that I'm having, but – 
we're all in this together in the sense that the issues that you have, you might wake up halfway through the night with a hypo or your sugars might be really high all day for no reason. You can't explain it. Everyone is going through this. And I think it's to try and showcase that, um, yeah, just because, uh, you know, we're able to, to live our dreams and, and or chase our dreams and, you know, live out our goals. We're still going through the exact same uh, issues and challenges that anyone listening to this podcast would eat. Yeah, I think that's really important. I mean, I think that uh, if you're on the television or you're playing football, uh, you know, you're always going to experience uh, the symptoms of diabetes, whether it's, I don't know, you can have a really great dinner with friends and your eyes go a bit funny afterwards. Lucky I don't have any long-term eye damage yet. I got them checked earlier in the year. But sometimes, you know, when you do, your sugar does change. They get a bit blurry or during the night. I wake up more than I should during the night, um, whether that's the change in levels or just the fact that I'm a <laughs> can be a pretty intense guy. I'm not sure. But uh, gives you anxiety. You wake up in the middle of the night sometimes, and you and you wake up and you will test yourself, thinking you feel wonky and you might be three point four. And um, look, all those things that you and your partner and your family sort of experience as a diabetic, I, I think they face. As you said before, you can't beat yourself up over it because it's just, it's just life as a diabetic, and it's it's certainly better than the alternative. But it is an, it's an interesting life. Put it that way. It certainly is, Tom. I just want to quickly ask, um, you know, on Twitter particularly, you're breaking news stories all the time and putting opinions out there about things that are happening in the sporting world. And I would dare say that you're one of the most trolled online people in the country, I reckon. Um, does it have an impact on you? And and when I ask that, I mean, you as a person and, and your mental health and things like anxiety, but also then does that have a flow-on effect to your sugar levels at all? Uh, I do like expressing opinions on Twitter. I do get a lot of fairly direct feedback. I go through periods where my very wise wife, Tara, and people that are smart in my life say, I oh, just ease back on that and just do the stories, uh, which I, I, I go through phases to sort of ease back the social media feedback. At the moment, I haven't been doing too many tweets lately. I think Twitter, to be perfectly frank, has become a, a, a really dark place for in terms of the things that I think people can abuse each other over, and I think it's a bad forum. But the test will be whether I uh, continue to contribute to that forum. I, I, I keep getting dragged back to it. I'm a nat naturally passionate person who has views on things, so perhaps uh, in my next phase of Radio Jack, I should have a talkback show because I know it's difficult to say in the footy world, but I've got as strong a views on uh, bringing tennis players here during COVID as I do uh, on footy issues. And I think that opinion side of the game um, is really interesting. I think, you know, the AFL is driven by passion and opinions, and there is a role for that. Um, as to whether the feedback on social media affects me, I don't think it adversely affects my mental health because I'd like to think that I'm pretty resilient. Having said that, it's hard to read some of it and say that it doesn't. I mean, I, I do get myself in a bit of a bad mood sometimes reading it. Uh, as for uh, whether it affects your diabetes, I, I guess it does in, in a way. I mean, stress does make you make me run higher. So uh, at some point, I'll need to review my social media use, Jack. But like most of it, most of us, I think it's a developing forum and it's got a role. But what that role is in my life going forward, I'm not entirely sure because I think it's, a, I think it's, uh, it's pretty disappointing when people feel the need to say things they'd never say to your face. Most feedback I get in life is really positive. They enjoy my stories and, and digging out stories that ordinarily wouldn't be told but for the fact that, that people that like doing breaking news find them and uh, and you get a small minority on social media. So I don't even like to put too much emphasis on it. Having said that, uh, oh, it's interesting, but uh, that's, that, that, that's my take at this stage.
And just finally, mate, um, you know, you have been outspoken at times on things like whether it be government funding for things or potential breakthroughs in, in um, uh, research um, or in education and understanding of diabetes, which we sort of touched on a little bit earlier. How passionate are you about diabetes and, and showcasing the stories of um, showing people that, uh, again, we are all in this together and whether it be athletes or other people doing well in their fields and, and sharing those stories and how closely do you follow things like that? I tend not to follow the health developments of diabetes because for 30 years I've heard there's going to be a cure and frankly it hasn't happened. Now, that's not to say I, I, there's not good research going on and so forth and any of the breakthroughs are fantastic. We've had some of the leading professors actually on the hot breakfast. Eddie's very supportive this year talk about things like the Im- immune-suppressing drugs that if you get in early enough you might be able to prevent uh, type 1 um, diabetes or the development of it. I think the researchers are doing a, a magnificent job. I think JDRF does a, a, a great job. I think Diabetes Victoria do a great job. So I'm certainly passionate of all that. But, uh, but in terms of uh, I think one of the problems with the uh, disease, in my opinion, is there's a lot of people living with it like me and uh, who don't really want to make a big deal of it. So I don't frankly like talking about it. So what happens is that it probably gets less funding than it should from a government perspective. It probably has less awareness in the community than it should. Um, having said that, I'm not out to criticise anyone for not understanding diabetes. And I think other diseases, frankly, do a better job of promoting themselves. And that the reason for that is because of people that are brave, like you, prepared to talk about it. So Neil Danaher with uh, MND has done a magnificent job. I think I read this week that he's raised $48 million through Freeze MND in six or seven years. I mean... He deserves a, a knighthood, quite frankly. Um, you're doing great work. So I think uh, in doing this podcast, it's a bit of a step for me because I don't really like talking about it, simply because I don't like making an excuse about it. But I think in the future, I would certainly be more prepared to talk about it from a, from a public perspective. And I do think it deserves more research and more money. Um, not to complain, but I just think in the, in the percentage pie of all the different uh, diseases that get talked about these days, I think uh, because a lot of sufferers, just like bowling through like me, I think it, it perhaps doesn't get all the recognition that it deserves. I think the work you're doing is fantastic, Jack. No, thank you, mate. And, and I appreciate you opening up. And I know it's uh, you're often the one asking the questions, Tom, not the one uh, being asked about it, particularly about something that is a bit more private. And I probably agree with you as well that when people, you know, we do talk about it, we don't tend to make excuses, we being anyone living with diabetes. Um, it actually, we sort of play it down a bit the seriousness and how much it can have an impact on our life i think and I, that probably to a degree doesn't help that we are saying oh it's very manageable and we go okay and we can live a normal life again for one of well you sort word, of it, you, you you sort of feel it i mean you don't it's not an instant diagnosis and i'd like to tell you that if you as well managed you'll live a long and healthy life and that's true but the reality is that when you do suffer the symptoms every day the reality is that it's, it's basically, I don't mean to sound negative, but it's slowly, to say the least, having a big toll on you. And uh, as someone that suffers that, um, it's nice to be able to, to talk about it with you and share my experiences. And in doing so, um, hopefully bring some awareness to the issue and also just let others know, as you very eloquently said, that uh, everyone, including me and you, have, have precisely the same symptoms as a lot of the listeners and a lot of the, particularly the young people that get it that I think it would cause them some mental anguish. So in any way I can help, I was very pleased to come on your podcast. Thank you so much, mate. And, and the bravery to speak out and say it does take a toll is not easy. Finally, mate, one to finish with. If you were giving advice to yourself when you first got diagnosed or giving advice to people just getting diagnosed or younger people or whatever it might be, what would that advice be, Tom? Uh, the advice if when you get diagnosed would be to get onto the pump 
Uh, go and find a GP that you trust, that you can speak to openly, regularly. I've got one at the moment, but it's t- I've sort of been a bit slow in doing that. And find an endocrinologist that on your worst day, your best day, you can go and see, and you've got a really good relationship with them. And I've got one, Dr. Jonathan Cohen, who I've met in recent years, and uh, he's my first port of call. I think that's really, really important. And find one you click with. So some you might benefit from some honest and tough feedback, like a footy coach that, that gives you uh, tough love, Jack, or you might benefit from a, a footy coach that gives you a big hug. And you've got to go and find an endocrinologist that suits your personality. And I think you've got to get a team of doctors in place and not avoid testing. You've got to go and get your urine and your blood tested you know, two or three times a year and stay on top of it. I think that uh, as soon as you ignore it, um, it, it, well, frankly, it can kill you. So I, I, I think that's really important. That, that would be my best advice. Tom, I, I couldn't have put it better myself. The importance of a good diabetes care management team and the willingness to to front up to it. And uh, if there are issues, try and get that right with the team you trust. Um, great to hear the pump is, is working wonders for you. I'm a big believer that uh, necessarily for one person might not work for other people. I'm personally still um, on the old finger prick and injections and that seems to be working well for me. But I do believe that if things aren't working well, it's worth giving something a, a go and certainly doing that in conjunction with your diabetes care management team, as you said, your GP, your doctor, your nurses, your endocrinologist, etc. Tom, thank you so much for chatting with me today. I've really appreciated your time and uh, it's great to have you on the Diabetes Victoria podcast. Thanks, Jack. I look forward to uh, talking with you next time. We need to uh, we need to start a sports show, Jack. It's, it's worked very well. <laughs> <laughs> Sounds good, mate. Thank you very much. Thanks for listening. Hope you enjoyed the program. If you'd like to contact us, it's very easy. Simply send an email to podcast at diabetesvic.com .org.au or of course all the information you'll need is on the website diabetesvic.org.au diabetesvic.org.au